us on this Shabbat day. We pray that your anointing would continue to be here in this service. We thank you for your presence that has been here. We ask you to anoint my words as I speak. May they be words of your Ruach, not of my flesh, that they would produce life in each one of us. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Uh, pray this prayer after me. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word today in Yeshua's name. Amen. Today we're concluding our series uh, through the book of Tehillim 27, which was uh, entitled Preparation for Spiritual Renewal. Uh, the title of the message today is Trust in God. In our first week, Rabbi Michael encouraged us from the first three verses that Adonai is the source of our strength in times of trouble and that we need to have faith in him. And the second week's message, which I entitled One Thing, I ask, I encourage you that each person was created with a desire that can only be fulfilled in the presence of our creator, that your heart, that my heart, in reality, is desperate to be in his presence. Last week, Rabbi Michael shared in part three that we need, that as we seek the presence of God, we also can cry out to him for the needs in our lives, and that cry for help is just as passionate as our pursuit of knowing him more intimately. So we're looking at the last uh, four verses of the chapter today. Follow along with me. Teach me your way, Adonai. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Don't give me up to the whims of my foes. For false witnesses have risen against me. Also those who are breathing violence. If I hadn't believed that I would see Adonai's goodness in the land of the living. Put your hope in Adonai. Also be translated, wait on the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, put your hope, wait on the Lord. We want to emulate David. Uh, <coughs> and so we are examining this passage uh, this month, to see the principles that David walked in that we can apply in our lives. Uh, I talked about this in the membership class. Uh, Rabbi Michael and I, you know, enjoy when you come up and say a good message. That encourages our hearts. But more importantly, uh, it blesses us when we see that the message has been applied in your life, right? And so what is God speaking to you today? So I want to encourage you that he has something to say to you personally, that you're not here by accident. You're not here just because this is where you go every Saturday, although that may be true. But every time you come, God has something that he wants to speak to you personally. And what he speaks to you may be different than what he speaks to the person across the aisle. And the choice is for you and I to choose, as Rena talked about in her Devar Torah, choose to apply that truth in our lives. So that's my prayer for you, that you would apply the truth that God quickens to your heart today. And as we look at the first two verses here, 11 and 12, they continue that cry of the psalmist that Rabbi Michael spoke about in his message last week. And in verse 12, 
David is saying, God, protect me from my enemies. He is appealing to Adonai as his deliverer. And as Rabbi Michael shared last week, it is not a sign of weakness to cry out to God because you need his help. Do you understand that? It's not weakness to say, God, I'm in trouble. God, I need your help. God, I'm overwhelmed by what's going on in my life. It doesn't mean that you're not trusting him when you cry out to help, for help. David trusted in God. David had a personal relationship with God. But in his time of need, he cried out to God. And that's okay to do that. Sometimes we feel like uh, we can't, you know, show that to cry out to God and to admit that we're in over our heads is a sign of weakness. Uh, well, yes, on the one hand, because we are weak, but he is strong. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, but it doesn't mean we're weak in our faith because we need God to intervene in our lives. And so David was experiencing a lot of surahs. You know what that is? A lot of pain and aggravation, right, in his life uh, because there were a lot of people who weren't being nice to him, okay? Uh, We're not exactly sure uh, the time of life that he wrote this psalm, but we know enough about his life to know all the people who gave him surahs from his own family members, Right, his own children, uh, Absalom uh, revolted against him and tried to uh, uh, lead a coup to take his father's place. We know Shaul, uh, who David only served faithfully and honored as God's anointed and did not dare to, to attack God's anointed, sought to kill David's life. Um, you know, so over and over again, he had people who, who brought Tzuras, you know, in, into his life in pain. And this Verse here says that they were threatening him uh, with violence, and he was really crying out to God, you know, don't give me up to the whims of my foes. Literally, don't give me up to the nephesh or desires of my enemy. One writer shared that the verbal phrase to breathe out violence is a vivid portrayal of hostility and hatred. You see, that's what David was feeling. He was feeling hostility and hatred directed towards him. And as I said in my message uh, a month or so ago, good news, bad news, I don't want to give a lot of attention to the enemy of our souls because uh, I want to focus on the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. However, uh, he is real, and we, like David, need to recognize what his desire is. And he is breathing out hostility and violence towards the people of God. And he wants to ensnare us and to catch us in his claws. You know, that's the imagery here that's being used in this psalm. And recognize that, again, he's full of hostility and, and hatred. As we was listening to someone early this morning talking about, sometime in the last couple of days, I can't remember when I was listening to, talking about... Uh, Hasatan, I think it was last night, that, you know, he was in heaven. He, he, was, uh, he is a fallen angel. So he, uh, scholars believe, was a worshiper, right, and the angel of light. And, and so because of his pride and, and trying to ascend and take the place of God, he was cast out of, uh, of heaven. And, and I think he's full of a lot of anger. And he does not want us to experience the presence and goodness of God because he cannot. Right, And so 
uh, he works hard against the people of God, against Jewish people. So being a part of this Messianic congregation, the enemy is working against you because you're connected to the Jewish people. And he works against those who call on the name of the Lord, those who are born anew, who have connected the Messiah, whose names are written in the book of life. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, he works against you as well. So we have like double whammy being a part of this congregation. So recognizing that there's this hostility and hatred that is coming against us. And you see it in our world today. And we have to remember that our battle is not with flesh and blood. Although the enemy uses flesh and blood, but we can't get focused on the flesh and blood. But have you ever seen in your lifetime, some of you a little older than me, some a little younger, some a lot younger, but think of your lifetime. Have you ever seen such hatred and hostility towards the people of God as you see today in the world? As we said so many times, it is amazing. You can be anything else, and you can, uh, you know, propagate and speak out, you know, boldly your belief and, and everything that you uh, are for. But the minute you say you believe in the God of the Bible and Yeshua HaMashiach, man, it's like the, the fangs come out and against us. Where is that hostility and hatred coming from? Again, it's a spiritual battle that we are in. So in the midst of this spiritual battle, it is okay for us to cry out, God, help us. God, you see how the enemy's breathing down, trying to bring destruction to our Jewish people and to the, the Kehilah, the body of Messiah. The one writer, uh, another writer I was reading talked about the word enemies here, and it says watchful foes is a good way uh, that someone translated and that it conveys this idea that the enemy is lying in ambush, waiting to catch David unaware and to attack him treacherously. Selah. Ponder that. The enemy waits in ambush to try to catch you, to ensnare you. That's why you must always be alert, the scriptures tell us, right? Kepha tells us to be alert, sober-minded. Why? Because the enemy prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he can devour. He will use anything, okay, anything he can to ensnare you or me, from uh, family relationships, from work situations, from our emotions, from our thoughts, whatever. He wants to ensnare us. So he's lying in ambush to try to catch you unaware. But we are not unaware of his schemes. That's, and that's why we talk about it, again, not to exalt him, but to say, we know who you are, Hasatan, and we know what your plans are, but we know that our God is greater, amen, and that like David, we can cry out to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and say, God, deliver us from the hand of our enemy who seeks our destruction with confidence that he will do that. Amen. So he's crying out, God, preserve me and make sure I don't fall into the hands of my enemy. He's looking for supernatural protection. And sometimes that's just what we need for God to supernaturally intervene in our lives. But David just didn't stop with that cry for supernatural intervention. David also recognized that he had a part to play in his own deliverance. We're always called to be co-laborers with Messiah. So the second thing he tells us, going back to verse 11, he says to Adonai, teach me your way. 
Let's say that together. God, teach me your way. You see, we don't only need God to deliver us from the hand of the enemy, but we need him to teach us so that we can stand against the enemy, so that we do recognize when he attacks us and we recognize his schemes against us. You see, we need to understand the ways of Adonai. Of Adonai. We can cry out for immediate deliverance, but learning the way of Adonai helps us to apply the principles of his word against the strategy of hell's have hell so that we do not become victims of the enemy. So as you heard our children here this morning reciting memory verses, and we stress the word of God over and over to your children as they are in our ministries from the nursery to the junior Shabbat to the teens ministry, we are constantly speaking the word of God. We open the Bible and we say, this is what God's word says, and we teach from it. Because teaching them God's ways is what's going to help them to walk in victory over the evil one. And so David was crying out, God, I need your supernatural intervention, but I also need you to teach me your way so I know how to walk so that I can be victorious over the schemes of the enemy. But listen to this, friends. To ask God to teach us means we have to be learners. Thank you, Rabbi. We have to be learners. Hebrew word is Talmudim. We live in a society, and you can keep your toes out, might be stepping on it, where people don't like to be taught. We think we know it all. You can turn to your neighbor and say, you don't know it all. Okay, some of you didn't. Everyone look at me. I'm going to say it to you. You don't know it all, period. You don't. I don't know it all. And you say, when, it, when I say, teach me your ways, Adonai, it means I have to be willing to learn. And this goes with Rina's Devar Torah, which I didn't get a chance to read it before, and so I didn't know about how God connects things. It means I have to let go of my way. Because guess what? Your way may not be the way that God wants you to go this time. But Rabbi Carroll, 10 years ago, he told me to do this. Oh, really? Well, it's 10 years later, and maybe he wants you to do something different this time. Think about King David, who is the writer of this psalm. God didn't lead him to do the same thing every time he went into battle. When he went up against Goliath, God had him use what? Slingshot and a stone, right? Was that God's battle plan for him, every battle he went into? No, in fact, we never read about him taking a slingshot and stones into any other battle, do we? But that was what God wanted him to do at that moment and at that time. See, David could have said, well, I know how to, to win against the Philistines. I'm just going to take my slingshot and sh- stones, and like I defeated Goliath, I'm going to just defeat all of these Philistines. But that was not his hard attitude. He wanted to know what God would have him do in each situation. In fact, when he's going into one battle, he says to Adonai, shall I go up directly against the Philistines? And God says, don't go. You wait until you hear the sound of the rustling some translation says, says in the mulberry bushes, whatever type of bushes they were. We had a mulberry bush in our yard growing up. 
But he said, wait until you hear that sound. Then you're to go up and around. Friends, you don't know everything. And if you're going to cry out, God, teach me your ways, you have to be a learner. That means you have to let go of your preconceived notions of how to navigate through life and to allow Adonai to teach us what really works in our situation. So David was saying to God, God, I don't know everything, and I need you to teach me your ways because my ways are not giving me a lot of success. That's a Selah moment. Because some of you are going around the same mountain. Okay? You're trying the same thing. Okay? And some of you even say to me and my husband, I'm going to just, you know, stepping on your toes, but I love you. Okay? I can hear you saying to me, I know, Rabbi Kel. I know. My kids do it to me all the time. You're you're like my kids, right? Yeah, I know, Mom. I know, I know. Okay, but you just came to me to ask me. And now I'm trying to tell you. I know, I know, immediately. That's not the heart of a learner. It's not the heart of a learner. And I say this to you in love because if you have the heart of a learner, you will grow leaps and bounds in this coming year. And not only that, you will be able to walk in a victory in some areas of your life that you have been struggling, some of you, for years, and you don't get it. Why am I not seeing breakthrough, release, and success in this area? It's because you're doing it your way and not God's way. We need to be lifelong learners. We need to say to God, show me the course of action I need to take. Instruct me in my attitudes that I should have. Teach me the way to live my life. As I said, the season of life that you're in today is different than the season you were in five years ago. God's principles remain the same. They're always the same. But how he might have you apply those principles today could be different than how he had you apply them last year. Then David asks, this goes in connection with that, lead me on a level path. One writer shares, David didn't ask for an easy path, but instead a level or even place, which was a place of secure standing. It's the same word used in Tehillim 26.12 to describe an even place that God brought brings us into an open, even place. You're always going to have challenges and service. And even though David was crying out for God to deliver him from that present service he was in, he wasn't saying, God, give me an easy path, but give me a level path. Make it very clear the, the direction that I'm supposed to go. You see, in this journey called life, there's going to be many pitfalls and snares, not only from the enemy, but it's just sometimes it's just things that are part of this fallen world. And we need to ask God to lead us on the path that will help us to avoid as many traps and snares of the evil one trying to get us off course. However, like asking God to teach us, if he's going to lead us, we need to follow him. That's another Selah moment. That's why I paused. Sometimes we resist following because, again, we think we know better. 
the reality is there might be many different ways. Like we could go into the city and, uh, you know, some of you may be more familiar than the, the, the city than I am. Whenever I take a group into the city, though, I map everything out of where we're going to go and what we're going to do. It may be different than how you would map things out, right? Because your knowledge of the city might be different than mine. But if someone is going to be the leader, you have to follow. And if you don't follow, you could get lost. And that's often what happens in life. We end up losing our way, so to speak, because we say, God, teach me, lead me. And so he's taking you down this, this center aisle, and you're going off to the right here or off to the left. So if you want God to lead you, you have to follow. If you got, want God to teach you, you have to be a learner. You know, the imagery that David is using here when he's talking about teaching and leading is that of a shepherd guiding his sheep. And certainly David knew what this was like because he took care of his father's sheep, right? And if any of you have studied anything about sheep, and a lot of us have because, the, you know, the famous Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's been many excellent books written about it and uh, the whole uh, imagery of a shepherd, etc. But the one thing you know is that sheep are dumb. Okay? And they're stubborn. Okay? And if you're from Missouri, you're double because, you know, Missourians are known as being stubborn. So that was a joke. Thank you, Gary. Got it right? Because I'm from Missouri, right? But so David knows this imagery because he worked with sheep. And that's why the, the shepherd has a staff. What's that staff for? I mean, we say the Lord's my shepherd. His staff and his rod comfort me. You know what a staff and a rod is for? Yeah, to keep them in line. So what does he do with that rod and staff? He gives you a little whack on your tuchus and say, get back over this way. Okay? Why? Because he knows, you know, oh, I want to go over under the tree. I see the piece of clover I want to eat. We have a groundhog that's in our yard. I think he actually lives in the neighbor's yard. Uh, Abigail has named him Gideon, the groundhog. Uh, But he likes to eat the clover in our yard. So he will be in our front yard eating the clover, uh, and we've taken a lot of pictures. I have even a little video of him, so if you want to see Gideon the groundhog, you can ask me later, and I'll show you my pictures. So he comes over to eat the clover in our yard. Sometimes we want to go over to the clover because we think it looks better than where the shepherd has us, but the shepherd knows that behind the tree is the big bad wolf who's going to try to eat you. So he gives you a whack with his rod and staff and says, get back here, Carol. Get over here where I'm at because I'm your protector and I'm leading you. You get the imagery there? So I really feel this is a word for us at this season and time as we're getting ready to go into a new year that we would be learners, okay, and that we would be followers of God. You have much to learn from Adonai in this coming year. And he wants to lead you in paths of righteousness. Tehillim, the psalmist says in 145.10, Teach me to do your will because you are my God. Let your good spirit guide me on ground that is level. Often David connects those two requests together. Teach and guide me. Teach and lead me. He's saying, Adonai, I recognize your authority and I choose to place myself under it recognizing that your ways and knowledge are so much greater than mine are. 
Friends, I want to encourage you, don't be a know-it-all. Okay? And don't be a know-it-all. I don't care... I don't care what level of education you have, and we've talked about this. We are all for education. My son's already looking into grad school, getting studying for his GREs to take in November, so he's set, you know, to go that way. I, I went to grad school, master's, did all my work for PhD. So we're all for encouraging young people to pursue, you know, education. And it's also not about how long you have known God, okay? I'm one of those who has known God pretty, you know, pretty long time here. There might be a few who have known him a little more than me, but over 50 years, so that's a long time. But I want to tell you, I'm still a learner. I'm still a learner, and I'm still following. Okay? So I want to encourage you, be a learner, be a follower. Don't be a know-it-all. And then in verse 13, David shows us that we are to believe in God and his goodness. And Rabbi Michael encouraged us along this in that first message. Have faith in God. Again, this is not just an intellectual ascent to God's existence. The psalmist is saying that he was sustained because he believed that Adonai was a good God, which we sang this morning, and that he would experience that goodness in his life. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is good. You see, as we go through each challenge and circumstance that comes our, our way, the enemy will challenge God's presence and his goodness in our life. Friends, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We all go through problems and difficulties and situations. I shared last week, you know, Abigail and I were in a car accident, not because I did anything wrong. I was just sitting at a red light. But I want to tell you, this last week and a half has been a lot of service and pain. Three different insurance companies, three different drivers. You know, when you think that you pay your insurance, that they would help you. As Christine and I were talking the other night, I'm having to call. I'm having to talk. You know, I'm, I'm say, and finally I said to my agent, I said, what do I pay you for? <laughs> I'm doing all the work here, right? So there's a lot of service, you know, and, and, and difficulty. You know, Rosalind lost her home this year to fire, right? Not her fault. Something happened in the neighbor's yard. So all of this stuff happens to us. And the enemy wants to use those things and to say to me or to Rosalind, oh, God's forgotten you. God's not good. No, 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 no. David said, in the midst of my service and pain, you know, and that was one of the things even Rosalind, when she spoke to me, God sustained me, right? God sustained me. I was overwhelmed this week with emotions that I didn't experience the first week because I began to realize, you know, that if the, the car had come just a little bit down, it would have hit my door. And what it would have done to me and my daughter would have been sitting there having to see that. So I was very emotional. In fact, we had to get a new car, you know, and we're walking, going from dealership to dealer. I, this week I just broke down. I had to walk out. I was in tears. It was just, I was just so overwhelmed, you know, by the experience, I can hear the crash of the car, you know, those who've been in accidents, you know that you can just hear that sound over and over again. And so when these things happen to us, it's like, well, why do these things happen to us? You know, you love God, uh, Rabbi Carol. Why did he let this happen to you? No, no, no. That's not, again, it's part of the fallen world we, we live in, and we have a choice, and someone tried to make a light when he shouldn't have. That's it, plain and simple, right? But in the midst of that, I have to keep relining myself, just as the psalmist did, that God is good. 
And because I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in this land, it sustained me and helped me through this week of service and pain. And I'm still not done with the insurance company, so I know I'm going to have service and pain this week. But in the midst of it, I keep myself with that hope. I believe that God is a good God. I believe that God is a good God. Can you say that with me? I believe that God is a good God. So, yes, it's difficult when you lose something. You lose your home. You lose your car. You you go through these things. But God is good even when we go through difficult moments. And the enemy, though, wants us to give up on believing that God is good and that God will show his goodness to us in a tangible way. You see, that's what David was saying. He's saying, right now I'm feeling pain. Right now I'm feeling service. Right now I'm feeling lost because he lost things at different seasons of his life. And sometimes we lose things. But in the middle of his loss, in the middle of his pain, he's saying, I know that God is a good God. And not only do I just know it, but I know that he's going to manifest that goodness in my life here in the land of the living, not just in eternity. And that is the hope that we need to have. David was saying that his belief in God would come through for him in the challenge that he was facing at that moment. The implication is that if he had not believed in God and his goodness, he would have given up. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. And when you're walking through this, you know, and maybe women are a little more emotional. I'll give you that. A little, right? Okay. Uh, It is so easy for those emotions or those thoughts to try to control you. And when they try to control you, it is easy to want to just give up. Like, okay, what else? And another phone call, another tell me, oh, this letter and that letter. But you have to keep realigning yourself to knowing that God is a good God and you're going to see his goodness. Many of you are on the verge of giving up because you have convinced yourself, perhaps with the help of Hasatan, that God's goodness will never be manifested in your life. You have given in to despair thinking that Adonai blesses everyone else, but it's left you out. Friend, I want to tell you, that's not the mindset or the attitude to have, and that's not the way the psalmist thought. And David knew loss, and he knew pain. But no matter how desperate he was, and no matter how desperate your situation may seem, no matter how overwhelmed you may be, And you may feel by what you're going through. I'm going to tell you right now, do not give in to doubt and unbelief. David did not give in to doubt and unbelief. He's talking to himself. You can see him working through. He's having this range of emotions and attitudes and thoughts. So that's why I love the Psalms because, you know, David is so real, right? He's showing you, okay, God, you know, look at the wicked. They're prospering. But look at me. I'm doing it. I'm serving you. And look at that. Oh, God, but look at this. And he's going back and forth. But he always comes out with the same conclusion. God is a good God. And he's going to demonstrate his goodness to me. And I'm going to pursue him passionately. He did not give in to doubt and unbelief. Don't let discouragement or despair control your emotions and your spirits. Choose to believe God for your situation and your circumstance. Choose to believe God. The Hebrew word used here is from emunah, and it means to have confidence in God, 
David was confident that God would be true to his promise. Believe that Adonai will save your family members. Believe that God will restore those broken relationships. Believe that God will heal you. Believe that God will provide for you, that he has a new job for you, that he has a new home for you, that he has, you know, a new car for you, that he will promote you. Believe that God will restore. And men, believe that God will fulfill the promises that you have been standing on for your life. Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu 29, 11 says, For I know what plans I have for you. Plans for well-being, not for bad things, to give you hope in the future. That's what David knew as well. So he believed in God. And finally, wait on God. Verse 14, hope or wait on God. The Hebrew word here is tikvah, which is the name of the national anthem of Israel, ha-tikvah, the hope. And David is speaking to himself. And he says, hope in God. David often talks to himself. I do too. It's good. He says, hope on God. Wait on him because he will come through. And I have taught on this word so many different times because it's found in my father's favorite verse. And this is on my father's tombstone from Isaiah, Yeshiahu 40, 31. Those that wait or hope in Adonai will renew their strength. They will soar aloft as with eagles' wings. When they are running, they won't grow weary. And when they are walking, they won't get tired. You see, hoping and waiting is not just a wishing that something will uh, happen and sitting around twiddling your thumbs waiting to see God move. No, it is a confident expectation that God already has a plan. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, give a hope in the future. So God already has the plans in motion to move in your life, and hoping and waiting is with expectation. God, you're working behind the scenes even though I cannot see it, and even though my circumstances seem contrary to your promise for my life, I hope in you, I wait in you, I am confident that you are going going to manifest your goodness in my life, in this situation, and I wait to see it. Amen? Part of hope is that we take courage and strengthen our hearts, as the psalmist says. It's part of the waiting to see the fulfillment of Adonai's promise. In fact, the uh, passage from Yeshiahu, Isaiah, tells us that as we put our hope in God, Our strength will be renewed because we are looking to him and relying on him, not on ourselves. And friends, all of my abilities, all my talents and your talents and plans, they will all fall short of God's abilities and his plans to move in your life and in my life. I truly believe, I wrote about this earlier in the year, that the best is yet to come for Beth Emanuel, for me and my family, for you and your family as you pursue after God. And so I wait with expectation to see God open up the heavens over this place to reveal his glory and his presence with signs, wonders, miracles, salvations that will take place. I have great hope and I am waiting for God. I'm not twiddling my thumbs while I'm waiting. I'm expectant, I'm confident, and I'm continuing to pursue and to seek him, and I encourage you to do the same. Hope is closely connected to faith. Another favorite passage of mine to preach on is from Romans 4, which talks about the hope that Abraham had as he stood firm in his belief that God would give him the promised child. And I'm going to close with this passage here. This is the same hope and faith that King David had and that we should have in our lives today. 
Romans 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Tikvah imunah. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver. Tell your neighbor, do not waver. Okay, turn to me. I'm going to tell you because you guys are sleeping, all right? Do not waver. Okay, through doubt and unbelief, all right? I need to wake you up, okay? Do not waver through doubt and unbelief. And I'm at the end of my message too, guys. Come on. Do not waver through doubt and unbelief. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Friends, that's what David was saying in this psalm. Put your hope in God. Take courage. Be strong. Because God has not only the power and the ability, but he is going to do what he promised. David made, uh, God made promises to David about his sons and about his kingship and about his lineage that would go on and that the Messiah would come. And you want to know every promise he made to David came to pass. Amen. And I want to tell you today that every promise in this book that God has made to you and to me, every promise that he has spoken to Beth Emmanuel is yes and amen in Messiah Yeshua. I am not wavering in doubt and unbelief. I don't care what my eyes see. I don't care what my emotions feel. I know that I know that God is faithful, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I say to my spirit, and I say to Beth Emanuel, and I say to those listening on the podcast, take hope, take courage today, because God is a God of goodness. He is a God that you can trust, and he will move in your life, and he will fulfill his promises for you. I believe I have been fasting and praying with my family for my unsaved family members. I believe that this year, many of them are going to come to faith. I believe it because God does not want to see any parish. That's his heart that they would come to know him. I am pressing in to believe. I believe this sanctuary will be filled and overflowing because God is a good God. He wants to see Jewish people come to faith in their Messiah. I believe God is going to release his healing power in this place. That when you walk in through those doors, you're going to be hit by his power. Sickness and disease will be driven from your body. We have seen him do that. Many of you here today are testimony of God's healing power. Friends, we need to trust in God. We need to not waver in doubt and unbelief. We need to speak to our soul, speak to our spirit and say, put your hope in God. Take courage. Be strong. Because God is going to answer and meet us. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. So as I close, I'm going to encourage you. Cast down the negative thoughts and attitudes. I want to tell you, every negative thought and attitude you have is like a repellent to the promise of God. You hear what I'm saying? Every time you give in to that negative thought and attitude, you're just repelling God away from you. Every time you give in to doubt and unbelief, You're just pushing God and his promises away from you. Cast down. Expect God to act in your life. Expect him to fulfill his promise for you and your family. 
I'm telling you, expect and believe. And when you have done that, continue to expect and to believe, to hope in Adonai. I'm going to close right now in the prayer. I want everyone to, to pray this with me. I want to give opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you've not connected to the Messiah. You hear us say this every week. The purpose of this congregation is to help people connect to God through the Jewish Messiah, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, and help you get from where you are to where God wants you to be. We're getting ready to approach the high holiday seasons. Rosh Hashanah starts Wednesday evening, and we're going to be talking through the holiday season about repentance and about the book of life. Friends, there's only one way for that name to be written in the book of life, and it's through blood sacrifice. None of you are bringing an animal to sacrifice this year. Trust me, you're not. Okay? So how are your sins going to be atoned for? I stand here confident that my sins are atoned for, not because of anything that I have done, but because I chose to connect, to believe in, the, uh, in Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, that his blood was shed to make atonement for my sin. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer today to help you make that connection, but I want to tell you, it's not just a prayer. You need to be a follower of God, and that my husband and I, this congregation, is here to embrace you and to help you to grow and to follow him as you make this prayer. But everyone pray this with me. Adonai, I am a sinner, and I cannot do anything to atone for my sins. I need a blood sacrifice, and you provided it in Yeshua the Messiah. Today, I choose to accept Yeshua as my Messiah, as my means of atonement. Write my name in the book of life. Amen. Amen. You pray that prayer and you mean it, and it's the first time you prayed it or you're renewing a commitment, please talk to my husband. He'll be at the back. Or talk to me as I get back. There's someone to encourage you that. Uh, when in the decision that you made, uh, in about a half an hour, maybe 20 minutes, we'll start prayer. If you brought lunch and you want to join my husband upstairs on the mezzanine, that's where he eats lunch before we start prayer. I encourage you, two important meetings of the week are our prayer meetings. We have prayer every Saturday about half hour after service. Uh, through the summer, that's been our time. So you can always bring a lunch, stick it in the fridge downstairs, and join my husband and my kids eating lunch on Saturday. Then come down for prayer and Thursday night from 6.30 to 7.30. So, uh, and again, high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Wednesday evening, Saturday morning. If you d- uh, don't know what food you're bringing, please see Robin or Tiffany today. Uh, so we make sure we have plenty of food coming. Take flyers that are out there to hand out to friends. God's going to give a Jewish, bring a Jewish person into your life this week. Listen to me, okay? There's going to be a Jewish person that he's going to bring to your life. Take a flyer and give it to them. Take that app on your phone and send an invitation. You go to that app, hit on Rosh Hashanah, and you can send it straight to somebody, right? Moises and Tiffany were talking about the Jewish family that God has led them to as they're new here in the, in the neighborhood, and they're inviting them to the holiday services. I have people connecting with me on Facebook through the Beth Emanuel page. I have people calling, asking about the services. So I'm expecting and believe, and I want you to expect for Jewish people to come to these holiday seasons and for us to see many come to faith. Let me close with the ironic benediction. We love you. Expect God. Trust in God. Trust, trust, trust. Expect him to move in your life. And uh, stay for the prayer meeting. Yevarecha kadonai v'yashmerecha, yerelonai panavaleka. 
uh, may you walk in the peace and blessing of God Almighty. May you always have hope and expectation to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. God bless you.